A lonely artist sits with their beret askew, smoking their last cigarette in a dark and empty building. The canvas in front of them is blank, and it taunts their very existence. Will the muses not come this night? Will they die before they find notoriety? Yeah, yeah that feels like the generic image we all know. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough Podcast. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Claude Larson. Claude is an artist and has been living this life path for well over 20 years. During that time, she has been confronted by the image of artists that most people see represented in over-dramatized history or in movies, and she's here today to dispel some of those myths for us. If you're wondering why I've released three episodes this week... It's because two of those were uploads that you never saw or got notified of when they were originally posted. Because of all that, basically no one ever saw or downloaded them. And after working with the technical support team, I found it's just going to be a whole lot easier to re-edit and republish them instead of fixing the originals. I hope you all enjoy them. Now, let's get into art for fun before profit. Welcome to the show, Claude Larson. Hi there. It's nice to be here, Colton. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, Why don't you introduce yourself for everyone listening? Okay. I am, I want to say I'm an artist. I'm also an author and I think I'm just an all around creative person. I think I always have been since I was a kid, one of those like out of the box kind of people. I just don't, um, People will say, well, what do you think? Should it be A or B? And I go like, have you considered C? And everybody's like, no, I haven't. So um, I think I come from just a place of wonder and creativity. And uh, I'm happy to be here talking with you about some of the myths and some of the overarching generalizations people make about artists because I don't think as most overgeneralizations I don't think um, people fully understand a lot of things about artists and the world as we perceive it yeah this certainly seems like one of those topics where almost anything could be considered like a myth where you're like it just can't apply to so many people and yet we do so often we're like Yes, all artists are blank. <laughs> so true. So true. What's the first one that comes to mind when you say that? All artists are? Um, the first one that I thought of is like, all artists are suffering. Because I think of that sentence like, you have to suffer for your art. Yes, that that was actually, I you know, jot, literally like sticky note, jotted down a couple things because this conversation I could have right off the top of my head. But that was the first one. People are like, the struggling slash starving, tortured artist. And while uh, there are people in history who became famous, like Vincent Van Gogh and things like that, he was certainly tortured. He had some mental health problems. Um, 
And uh, he was being supported by his brother because he wasn't making a whole lot of money. In modern time, I have to say, I believe the starving artist myth doesn't apply any longer. And this is very much like when you um, you hear about actors, actresses, and they, you know, they wait tables, they work in a coffee shop, they have a side hustle so that they can go to casting calls until they get a job in what they love to do. And they keep, they keep at it until they get to where they want to be. Artists, same way. Um, I had a full-time job. I have a comfortable home that is paid for. I have never lived, you know, like in a cardboard box under a bridge. Um, I have never considered myself starving short of maybe the last couple months of college, mostly because I had just run out of money. But uh, at that time, I wasn't living on, you know, trying to make art for a living either. That's just one of those um, being a college student, right? You're yeah, I know. Just being a college student. Like I am literally out of funds. Like I am graduating in, you know, a couple of months and I will get gainful employment <laughs> once I'm out of here. But in the meantime, all those, you know, those soft expenses are crushing me. But yeah, I think so. Um, and I will say, you know, like I, I did not think of art as my... And actually, I don't think of any of my creative endeavors, again, written a book, things like that. I don't think of them as how I'm going to finance my life. I think most artists, most people making art, a lot of them, first of all, are afraid to call themselves artists because it attaches all these myths like, oh, people will think I'm like desperate and starving and all of that. And they're not. They're just you know, they're on the journey, they're making art. And I think artists appear tortured because every artist that I know, myself included, we are making art to the best of our ability. But what we aspire to is never where we are right now. And that's the torture of the artist. And I say it all the time. I laugh about it because now I've been, you know, making paintings for well over I don't know, a decade, maybe 15 years. And before that, I was working in textile art for well over 20 years. Um, and every piece I make, I say, the best piece I make will be the next one that comes out of me. Like no matter how happy I'm, oh, I love this painting. I'm thrilled at the way it came out. I'm delighted. I'm all of those things. The torture is there's a gap between where I am right now and where I aspire to be. And I think that has been turned into, you know, all these artists are sitting in their studios brooding, you know, and uh, they can only paint if there's this tremendous struggle in their life, which is not true. I'm, uh, you know, well-grounded, happy person and I go and make art and, and I'm happy with it. But I also know that as I watch where I've come from, it has gotten so much better. Like the first things that I made at the time, I was like, these are great and I'm delighted. And then I'd make the next series of work or the next painting or the next art quilt or whatever it was, I'd be like, wow, I learned a lot. And this is so much better than the other one. 
Um, so I think that's where the myth of the tortured, struggling artist comes from. We're never as good as we want to be. And it's, I, I mean, I think that's probably true for athletes, right? Unless you are like the goat, right? The greatest of all time, unless you're that person, you're like, oh, if I could just improve this about my physical capability, if I could just run a faster sprint time, if I could just jump higher on a basketball court, you know, whatever, whatever it is, they're always aspiring for something else. Artists, same thing, but because we're not doing it in front of the cheering crowds or on a team and we're doing it alone in our studios, people think we're tortured. Um, I would say the vast majority of us are not. We're very happy to be making what we make to the best of our ability until our skills get better. Yeah, I think a lot of that comes into this, like, you know, the kind of the Hollywoodized version of an artist where you see, like, you know, the guy in ragged clothing that looks like he hasn't eaten in a while and he's just like chain smoking in an abandoned building and staring at a blank canvas. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, and like the fear of the blank canvas. I'm like, I don't know, just take a paintbrush and put a mark on it. Let's all get over ourselves. Um, but, you know, and I think about that too. There's this myth that artists are like, we party hard and we, um, you know, over drink, over indulge, over smoke, over sexed, all of those things. That's what makes us creative, right? Is putting all these crazy things into our body and doing, uh, you know, whatever with our bodies. And I got to tell you, my best art comes out of me when I'm up early in the morning, after I've had some exercise, when I'm making sure that I'm eating clean, um, I have the energy to proceed. But yet you see pictures of like Jackson Pollock, always with the cigarette in his hand, like crushing the cigarette butt into his canvas. And um, I mean, he had a really pretty lousy childhood. And so he had a lot of demons, you know, but people generalize that like, if you make art, you must come from this place of, you know, chaos and you're creating it from a sense of um, you know, struggle. Like this is how I'm going to save myself. I mean, there are rare cases. There are people that happens, but the vast majority of artists are leading normal lives and getting to do something that they love on a regular basis. Yeah. I think that's a large part of like the world we live in now is so much different than the world we used to live in where, you know, a lot of artists now work in the gig economy or like they have a post online or on any of the numerous, I mean, very numerous websites where you can like commission things and they, I assume are just generally working on whatever art they want to produce until like a pop-up comes up and says, so-and-so just paid for this kind of art. And they look at it and they're like, cool, I'll get to it next. Instead of like, you know, Jackson Pollock or like we said, Vincent Van Gogh, where they had some level of trauma in their background that made them like just a little off kilter. Yeah. And they were trying to like literally do it to survive more or less. Yeah, exactly. And I, and, um, I mean, I'm an artist, I can't imagine not making art. Um, and I think there's a spectrum on that. Like, 
it makes me super happy to make things, to make paintings, to make art quilts, to make collage, to, to just get paint on my hands, to, it makes me super happy to do that. When I don't get to do that, I get, I don't, I don't even know, maybe slightly frustrated. Oh, I just need to get in my studio. That's what's wrong. I'm feeling a little out of sorts. But there are some people, again, on this spectrum, whereas if they're not painting and they're not creating and they're not doing that, they are way off kilter. You know, it's it's where your sort of reset button is. Like my reset button is, okay, it's been a couple of days. I've had other things to do. I've had to, you know, maybe update my website or I've had another family obligation or something that's keeping me from making my artwork. I will make a concerted effort to get back in there because I know it keeps me in balance. But some people, the level that they need in order to stay in balance is much higher than than myself and a lot of other artists because it's like, you know, we have lives. You know, I'm I'm I've been married for 35 years. I have two grown children. Like I have grandchildren. I have obligations. I do grocery shopping and I clean my house and I do all the normal things that people do. However, I work it around and make sure that I get my creative time. So yeah. And a lot of people just think we live these sort of like flighty, irresponsible lives. And uh, I have to say, I haven't, I haven't met anyone like that. And most people that I do know, it's like, oh, I can't go in the studio if I'm super tired, if I'm overwhelmed, if I'm stressed out about, uh, you know, a family situation or a, or a life situation or a health situation. We don't usually go in there when we are at our worst because it doesn't end well for the most part. Yeah. And uh, and there's a myth, right? People think like, oh, you're an artist. So you put on your beret and you sit in front of an easel and like the muse comes to you and you just paint and it's so easy. And it's, you know, and voila, you have a painting. And like, that's this, that's like the struggle and the joy. Because you start a painting knowing full well, like at least myself, I just started a series. I just have the first layer down, first layer of paint, knowing full well, I'm going to have 10 to 12 layers of paint. If I don't like what I see today, I don't worry about that because it's probably none of it is going to really be in the final piece. Yeah, You know, like, it, inform, it informs what I do next, right? It informs what I do next, but... Like people think it's like paint by number. Like I get this really thick, bright colored paint and I put it on there and like in one swoosh, like I've, you know, created a beautiful blue sky. Like, no, that's not true because it's going to be 10 colors. And then finally I might be like, oh, this looks landscapey to me and I'm going to add some blue to make it appear sky-like, right? Yeah. yeah. Another, yeah. Yet another myth debunked. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes a lot to like, what are you trying to paint? Because if you're just trying to like get creative and see where it takes you, that's very different from someone who, you know, takes their setup and goes to like a hillside and paints the scenery because they're they're doing it from an example. They're trying to replicate something, whereas like you're trying to create from scratch. 
it's so true, right? Because I work, I work abstractly and I work non-representationally. So those are two different things. Abstract is kind of like if you took the human form and you know, like Picasso's, you know, half the head is blue and like all of that. That's that's you still know it's he's attempting at a human here, but it was abstracted. But you could tell there was a particular subject matter. And non-representational is there's no subject matter in mind. It's just layers of paint or um, or whatever material you use until a painting resolves itself, which is the difference. I mean, I'll, I'll you know, everybody's tired of hearing about COVID and the lockdown, but I will say the difference between being the general population during COVID and lockdown and being an artist was I was perfectly happy to spend 10 hours in my studio a day. I never got bored. I didn't get frustrated. I knew like this is a time for me to go into a little like incubator cocoon thing. And I created a lot of a lot of art during that span of time because I was fine with uncertainty. And a lot of people hate uncertainty. They, you know, they want to know if I'm going to this party, I want to know who's going to be there before I get there. Am I going to know people? Am I not going to know people? Am I going to have to introduce myself? Um, you know, where's it going to be? What time does it start? They they need to know before something happens, what is going to happen, which was a big struggle over that long span of time because it was just a constantly moving target. But if you imagine for an artist, that is that is exactly what we're chasing in the studio, that level of uncertainty. What happens if I put this color paint on the canvas? I don't know. Well, what if I put this color next to it? Because you think you know what it's going to do, but you don't until you put that color paint next to it. All of a sudden you're like, huh, relative to this color, that color is really dark. It didn't look really dark when I was going to put it on there. And no matter how much we try to anticipate what's going to happen, the true skill, I think, of an artist is you just embrace uncertainty. You know that there will be highs and lows. Like this painting right now, first layer, kind of looks crappy, but you know, the only the, but then I say to myself, the only place it has to go is up. Because if I'm not happy with it, I change it next time I paint on it. And then I keep changing it until all of a sudden I'll sit back and go, wow, huh, I really like that. That's really good. I'm happy with that. Um, and that's the process. And, and people don't understand that, which is often why they don't understand the cost of art. Like they say, it's so expensive. It is. It's a luxury. And if you can't make your rent payment and you're buying thousands of dollars worth of art, that's irresponsible. I, I agree. But if you think about the value of somebody's time, I don't think it's as expensive as people think, especially if you have a job and you're going to work and you're earning whatever wage you earn an hour. If you imagine you've been doing that job for a year, well, maybe you're making minimum wage. 
maybe you're making 20 bucks an hour. Maybe you're making 30 bucks an hour, right? If you're super lucky, you found something in that first year of working that pays you more than an absolute base level of salary. But then you expect as you get better at your job that you will make more money. You will get a promotion. You will get maybe, a, you know, go work in a different company and take your skill set with you. And you do all these things, but over time you expect that your income will increase. And people think that because artists put on their beret and the muse comes and they just these, you know, paintings come easily that the same level of time should not apply to the cost of their artwork. You know what I mean? Like, okay. There was a time, I mean, there was a time when my art, it it was terrible. Like it was terrible. I look back on it now. I took photographs of it. Oh, this came out really good. I'd say to myself, but I look at it now and I go, wow, that was so like rudimentary. I didn't know anything about blending colors. I didn't know these things, but then I was giving that stuff to like family for their birthday or Christmas or whatever. But then all of a sudden I started selling it at what I considered a very reasonable price. I was like, oh, well, my materials cost me about this much. And, you know, maybe a little over the top for myself for, you know, doing this artwork. But now you get to the point where you're 20 something years in and you're not paying yourself minimum wage for doing this anymore because you've you've gotten so much better at what you do. So people will look at that and say, you know, geez, that seems like a lot of money for a painting. And I've had people ask me this. I mean, this is a pretty classic question I would get when I would be at the gallery. Like, how long did it take you to paint that? Right. And, you know, I would kind of take a breath and I'd say, let me tell you about this painting, you know, as opposed to like, well, that took me 20 hours or, or whatever. Right. I think the question that I always appreciated was how long have you been painting? Because if you say five years and then they look at your work, hmm, that makes sense. But if you say 25 years and then they look at your work, that makes sense too. You know what I mean? But everybody thinks like you should get paid for the exact number of minutes that your paintbrush was hitting that particular canvas. And they forget that the ability to create where you are right now came from years of experience and hours of, you know, putting in the time and making the terrible artwork and then working your way out of it. Kind of like at work when you have, you know, they give you a task to do and you hit an obstacle and something's not working and then you've got to fix the, uh, you know, the website platform isn't responding the way it should, or you go through all these troubleshooting things. Same thing with a painting. I start a painting and it's looking kind of terrible. And sometimes I just go, well, I can't really get any worse. So I, I should do something bold here because how could I possibly ruin it? And sometimes it's like, it's really close. It's really close. It's almost at the end. So now I have to be pretty careful about what I do because I don't want to set it back and create more problems for myself than I need. Yeah, I mean, I think there is a lot that you could look at that, like there's a bell curve, right, to to an art price where you're like, if it's extremely high, 
and I mean, you know, tens of thousands of dollars or more in many cases, like it has to be a super recognized artist that doesn't put stuff out. Usually they're dead, so they're not putting anything out. Um, they've got, you know, some level of like worldwide recognition and that justifies that price. And then you have the other end where it's like the other end of the bell curve is super low. And they're like, yeah, I'm just starting and I'm just kind of like trying to see if I can sell anything, you know, and in the middle is like where stuff should be, where you're like, yeah, it's, you know, my time putting into this, my materials I've got to put into this, the amount of like experience that I have, you know, that all kinds of like meets in that bulk of the middle. Yeah. And it's funny, like you say, like the bell curve, that's where it's kind of like the sweet spot, right? Like you've put in your time. So if you think about that bell as, you know, the very beginning is when your price is low and your experience is low. But then once you have more experience, you generally buy better materials. You start to maybe invest more into whatever supplies or presentation or framing or whatever you're going to do, right? And that bumps up the price. Um, Here's something people don't know. And I've had this, I've had this question too, like, they, um, again, this goes back to a little bit of starving artist, but also cost of art. People think you're desperate and will sell your art for anything. And they will try to like bargain a price with you. And they'll, and I had a, I had a gentleman, he came, uh, I was a featured artist. It was like my opening reception, you know, big night, wine, cheese, like the whole thing. And he says to me, you know, the price that you have on here like seems kind of high and i and i have to say the price was like maybe $1500 for this piece of art it was i want to say like 3 foot by 4 foot framed solid wood walnut frame um i had had custom mats cut because it was larger than what i could cut myself on a mat cutter right so probably 300 or more dollars invested in framing Um, And I said, well, let me tell you about the piece, you know? So I said, this is all hand-dyed textiles. I hand-dyed about 60 different colors. You know, every little square on there was like hand-cut, hand-pieced. There's a lot of hand-stitching on here. Every little bead was, you know, attached by hand, all the mixed media. So I start telling him about this and I go, oh, and by the way, I'm not sure you realize, but you're in a gallery and I don't get the price of this piece a fair percentage goes to the gallery and I will only get a percentage of this price. And a lot of gal like, and in that one, the gallery was getting 25% of that sale, but, and that's only because I was gallery sitting and, you know, doing other things at the gallery, but typical gallery um, commission is they take 50% and the artist gets 50%. So when you look at a piece of art and you go like, geez, that seems high for this particular piece of artwork, what people don't realize is the gallery is going to take half of that. So the artist is only going to get half. So by the time they've put in their time, bought their materials, transported it to the gallery, made it ready for hanging, you know, took the time to do all those things. In some cases, you know, we have to ship it to locations and things like that. People don't realize that it comes out of, um, it comes out of the total, you know, and that was, and, and I think, I mean, at that point, you know, I'm telling him all about the piece and how I made it and his wife 
wanted to just strangle him. Like she was just like, are you really trying to dick her on a price for this? Like, look at it. Look how much work that was. And he, like, he just, I guess, had a mindset that like, just offer me anything. I'm so desperate to sell this because, you know, clearly I'm a starving artist and I will accept anything. And, and it was kind of like, I'm not going to let you diminish the value of my time. Um, and when artists stick to their price, that they, you know, people think that's like, uh, I don't know, uppity maybe is the word. Like, oh, who do they think they are? Like, they can't even come down a little on the price for this. And, you know, I defy you to like go into any high end retail store and be like, is this really what you want for this handbag? Like, because I really think you could do better on the price. <laughs> like, mm, nope, not going to change. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, just walk into a retail store and see if they'll negotiate with you. <laughs> yeah, not happening. And and like and you have all those um, you know, there's chain stores where it's like you get a coupon in the mail or in your email or whatever and and, and I always laugh cuz I'm like, "Oh yeah, well when I go to that store, I'm never going to pay full price for anything cuz either it's on sale or there's a coupon or there's like some other reason. And if you do have to pay full price for something that you want from there, you walk out of there like, "Did I just get ripped off?" Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, art, it's a different story. Like a lot of people sort of, uh, and and I'm not saying galleries shouldn't get 50%. I mean, they have to keep the lights on they keep the heat on and they are going to have an opening reception and buy some wine and cheese for people and they have to staff it and they often have to ship it and create, you know, build a box for it or you know, take care of all of those like logistics. So I think, I mean, I think their money is well-deserved um, if they are running a successful gallery and, you know, they've got their social outreach going and they've got their collectors coming in and they're hosting regular events. Like if they're doing their part of the work, I think that's where you split the cost. It's just that people don't realize that what they're paying for the artwork half of it might not be going to the artist. Yeah. So. I think a lot of people like that's probably a good, a good myth that I don't know. has like a direct title to it is people think that art is like an A to B service where it's like, I just make it and then I hand it off and it goes straight to whoever wants it. And it's like, there's a lot of managing things in the middle here that you actually have to, you know, have some kind of a business sense or understanding about as well. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the thing, right? I have a website. So, you know, I finish, let's, um, so I'm trying to think of what I finished recently. I re uh, recent series, just only four paintings. So this was a short series for me. It was just these four paintings by the time I was okay. They're, they're done. They're painted. Right. It's a seven day process for me to finish them. Cause I do seven layers of specific in a specific order. I coat them with this medium. Then I coat them with that medium. Then I two layers of this. And then each day I do a coat of varnish. I do three coats of that. And then it has to cure for like a couple of weeks. Right. So now it's like, I have them in my studio. I'm trying to like not take up all the surface area so I can walk around in there. Um, but yeah, there's, there's just so many steps to it. And then, it, Oh, you know, pick a frame, do this, 
oh, wait, I got to get it on my website. I got to photograph it. Then I got to get it in Photoshop. I got to edit the photograph so everything is true color and you want it to be an accurate depiction of what you made. So it's like so time consuming. And if you're an artist, you don't want to devalue your time by not recognizing that in the price of your artwork. Not only did you paint it, then you finished it. If you framed it yourself or if you paid a framer, either way, there's an expense in there. Um, and then all the other stuff, you know, some people pay to have it photographed and then you can make prints from it. Some people choose not to make prints. Um, I think prints, you know, the thing about once you get to a certain level of art, you try to find things that are evergreen for you. So if you can, if you pay the photographer to take the images, you can have prints and that can continue to be an income stream. Um, but if you, if you aren't doing that, or if you don't have a photographer and, you know, um, I have, I have a guy, he's relatively inexpensive for each piece of artwork that he photographs for me and all the other artists that he works for. Um, it's 50 bucks per piece. So a series of four, I'm paying $200 just to get high quality images that's if I, you know, if I, cause I have the photographic equipment so I can set it up and make it re website ready for myself, but I don't have the skill set that would make a high resolution file that's so big. It has to like be saved in a cloud somewhere um, so that somebody can make a print of my work. You know what I mean? It's a difference. And, you know, again, just one, another one of those expenses it's evergreen, but you got to lay out some capital first. And, you know, some people teach workshops. Uh, in person was, you know, I was doing mostly in person before. Um, and now I'm toying with, do I want to get on the bandwagon of online classes? Like, do I need that income stream? And is that how I want to spend my creative time? I've kind of opted to wait it out and do in-person. I've done two in-person ones since, you know, since the pandemic. And it was like open air under complete cover. Everybody brought their own supplies, no sharing of materials. People were happy to come. Um, and then they were, you know, a lot of, a lot of artists pivoted and they were doing a lot of online stuff. So, you know, you're, you're looking for things that are evergreen that continued to, you know, pay your bills, but it's different because if you don't want to teach, like if that's just not your jam, then you're doing something you don't enjoy and it, it shows in the product. So it's very, you know, it's very specific. And that's, I mean, that's the thing. If you're an artist, it's like, you can't fake it. Like, you know how some people can go to work and they're kind of phoning it in and like people don't pick up on that for a long time. It's not that kind of, it's not that kind of job. It's just not that kind of job. And it's, I like to think that there are a lot, if, if you, you know, you see these artists who make large pieces of work that sell for a hundred thousand dollars, $50,000, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. And you think, oh, okay. So that artist like makes a lot of, they make a lot of money maybe. Right. But they make a lot of money doing 
something that truly brings them joy in the process because they can't be like, uh, you know, my parents always wanted me to be a lawyer. So I became a lawyer and I made a lot of money <laughs> because you can be kind of unhappy at that and still be gainfully employed. But if you're unhappy with what you're creating, be it a workshop, uh, a piece of artwork, you know, any anything in the creative realm, if you're unhappy making it, it will not end well for you financially. I've, I've never seen somebody make something that wasn't joyful in the process. Like I loved getting in and into my studio and painting this or going on that hillside and painting that landscape. I loved doing it and it showed in the work and that's when it pays off. It's not the kind of job where you can like fake it till you make it. Well, like you said, you know, a lot of people are doing this because it's a passion, right? Like they're working a normal job on the side and they're doing this because they're passionate about it. And if you remove the reason you want to be creative, what more reason do you have to do it? Why work any harder at it than you would at being, you know, like a waitress at your day job? That's right. Why That's exact. <laughs> That's so right. And it's fine. I, I, um, had the opportunity to speak to some, I think they were high school seniors that were going off to college. Um, it was wintertime, springtime, something like that. And they were heading into art related majors at colleges. And one poor girl, she was like, like just so stressed out. And I was like, what worries you? You know, like what worries you about going into an art career? She's like, I really want to be a photographer but I'm so afraid that I will like be a starving artist. Well, what do you like to photograph? <laughs> I was like, what do you like to photograph? She And she says, um, you know, I like to photograph like still life and I love to photograph. And like, she started naming things and I go, okay, is what else do you like to do? She's like, I like to ride horses. Oh, okay. So I said, do you ever photograph horses? She's like, yes. I said, okay, People who have horses, they don't have a lot of money. They have a stupid amount of money. Mm -hmm. They will pay you to photograph their horse. You could work for a wedding photographer on weekends and make what you love to do the rest of the week. Like you can pay your bills, like you can be fine and you don't have to worry about like, well, the only thing I do is like these types of photographs. And in 20 years from now, what, you know, once I've almost starved to death, they will become popular and begin to sell. It's like, no, there's like ways to incorporate all the things you love and still make money. And yeah. even, you know, like painters, um, they, they take commissions. Um, and I had, a you know, I had one woman who was like, I really love your work. I would like to commission that from you but i really but i want it bigger and i was like okay that my goal is to get my work bigger right the largest i've done so far is like well in art quilts pretty big probably like i don't know three foot by five foot something like that um and I, and i said here's what we're gonna do like i will make three or four pieces Right. Because I was kind of like, uh, I don't want the stress of like, I'm going to make you this one piece. And then if you don't like it, then both of us are unhappy. Right. Yeah. So I'll make three or four pieces. And then like you pick the one you like 
the most. And then you don't have to worry, right? You don't have to worry about it. Like you've given me sort of a color palette that you're interested in and a size that you're interested in and you like what I do already. So I'll just do that. And then you let me know which one you'd like to have in your home. And it's kind of like, it takes the pressure off. And I mean, some artists would never do that. Like, okay, you want a commission? And and sometimes it's, they're going to commission a portrait. Like, here's a picture of my family in a formal setting. There's four of us and I want this rendered in paint, different skill set. Like, don't hire me for that. Because yeah. could I do it? Yes, but I would hate every step of it. So it's like, nope, you need to find somebody who loves that and wants to do that for you. Well, and that's, I think, another good thing to bring up is like, just because an artist doesn't take a commission, like, doesn't mean that they are above you. It just means that they're like, look, I'm doing the work I love. I'm making a total living at it. I don't have to take on commissions. Right. And I would rather not have to worry about like your satisfaction as well as mine. You know what? That's so true. There are a lot of art. And for a long time, I wouldn't. I would have never said yes to that. Um, But this one, it was like they had other pieces of mine and it seemed like this might be a good time. And it was one of those like, and look, if you're not happy with this at the end, like you don't, you don't have to buy it because in the end I will still have three or four new pieces of artwork and I'm not going to, you know, like hold you to it. Did I say, yeah, I need some money down. Sure. I did. Um, but in the end, if they weren't happy, I was like, you can apply that to anything else that I have that like you want, but you know, I didn't ask for a, a lot, but I figured if you, if I'm going to commit to doing it for you, you have to have some skin in the game, you know, but you can't just be like, oh, I know I did all this work and I'd like you to take a look and they're like, nah, I'm not interested anymore. And yeah, then you're like, well, now I'm just out everything. <laughs> that's exactly right. You know, like, uh, I'm sorry, your life circumstances changed, but like uh, Verizon still wants money for my phone bill this month. So yeah. Yeah. They don't, people don't always understand that. Yeah. I think it's one of the cool things in like, I'm not big on social media and a lot of people know that, but I do like to use Instagram to find artists of different types. Like anyone that can make, make something really creative i do love to find on there and so when i go to somebody's page and i'm like oh wow they do you know a physical medium and i look at it and they're like oh commissions open it makes me be like oh that would be really cool and i've done a couple things like that but there's lots that i go to who are just like i just make art i don't commission anything and i'm like oh also cool because i just like to look at it (laughs) right and and it has to I mean, that's the thing. Um, You know, there are a lot of jobs. There are a lot of people who go to jobs that they really dislike. Like, let's be honest, right? Job satisfaction can be pretty low, especially here in the United States. I know in places around the world, it's not nearly what it is here. But, you know, dissatisfaction at your job can be pretty high. But if you're an artist, you are not doing this because it's like, oh, it's the grind and I hate this job and I got to go into my studio every day. Like you just don't approach it that way. And that's, I mean, I think that's part of what people don't understand about the mindset. One, nobody paid me 
for the first, you know, 10 years when what I was making was really not so good. So I had to have a side hustle. I had to do it a different way. Right. But then once you get to the experience, it's like I kept doing it because I loved it. I didn't keep doing it because I was tortured or because somebody was making me or because it was the only way I could pay my bills and stuff. I kept doing it because it was a passion. Right. And, and a lot of people, you have a passion. There's nothing wrong with making a profit off your passion. And people just think like, well, if you just love to paint, you should just be giving it away for free. Like, "Mm, no. Yeah. Like it's still, still time, energy and resource. And let's say like you do love your job. Some people love to go to their job every day. Would you go if they didn't pay you? <laughs> you know, like that they'd go, well, that's ridiculous. You know, I love what I do and I'm very good at it, but obviously I'm going to want a paycheck at the end of the week. Yeah. Okay. Me too. I love what I do. I've gotten so much better at it. There's still a gap because I still aspire to be better than I am today. However, uh, I don't expect to give it away for free until I create the next, you know, Mona Lisa or whatever, like that's, that, it's just not realistic, but people, yeah. th- people, a lot of people that I've run into feel kind of feel that way. Like, Oh, you're an artist. Oh, <laughs> you must be, you know, starving and uh, desperate and tortured, like all, you know, all those things. They also, may I also add things like flighty. They're very flighty. You know, I get that one a lot. They're irresponsible. They're disorganized. And, you know, I laugh because it's like my studio, everything's labeled or it's in a clear container or it's got a label on the drawer if you can't see through it. And, um, you know, I'm on time to things. Um, I would not call myself flighty in any way. Um, And when they say those things like flighty, disorganized, always late, that's another one. They're always late. I, I look out at the general population. I go, okay, how many people do you know who are always late, who are not artists? Like anybody know somebody? I do. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of like, I think the general population is, you know, some people are late people. Some people are on time people. If you are a late person and you are saying like, oh, what do you expect? I'm an artist. That's an excuse. Like learn to read a clock, you know? Um <laughs> <laughs> but I think people give them a pass. Like they give them a pass. Oh, what do you expect? They're an artist, you know, they're they're gonna be late and they're just gonna be a little eccentric. And as soon as I hear somebody say, like, oh yeah, that guy's kind of weird, I'm like, aren't we all kind of weird in our own special way? <laughs> like we all have a weirdness that's kind of like part of the it's part of the fun, right? Finding the person who is the match to your weird because then you know, you can have a relationship with them. Yeah. Where you're like, all right, draw me a normal person and I will show you what is actually a boring person because mm. you're describing boring. Boring. That's ex- normal. And you know what's so true. Normal. Normal. Yeah. Ah, what is it? But yeah, a lot of the disorganization, like most of the artists that I am aware of and that I know personally, because I know quite a few because I work in a creative industry right now are very organized because like they are wood crafters. And so every single chisel is arranged by size and shape and purpose or a tattoo artist. Like every single ink is by shade and by color and by purpose. And the needles are all laid out very specifically. Like they are the most organized people I've ever met in my life. 
Right. Cause, cause we've learned we love our creative time and we're not going to waste it looking for stuff. You know, it just makes, it makes, it puts you in, when you get in that flow and you can find everything you need as you need it. I mean, that's, that's a beautiful place to be. Right. But yeah, we do get, we do get the bad rap of being disorganized and late. And I'm like, yeah, I'm neither of those things. Um, and the other artists that I know aren't, I should, I shouldn't say that the, um, the ones I would consider, they are enjoying success, however they define it, be that, you know, profit, commissions, um, exhibitions, whatever, you know, whatever they, they, they have it together. They have it together. And if they don't, the reason they're struggling, oh, I wonder why I can't get a, you know, how come I can't get a featured artist show? Well, you know, you emailed the person late and then they asked you for certain things and you couldn't get that together. And then, you know, they asked you to label your images with like, you know, your last name, the title of the piece, the dimensions and the materials. And you just, it says like image 5,860 on it. Like, you know what I mean? If you don't give them what they want, you are disorganized. Then you wonder why they don't want to work with you. It's like anybody else. Like we've all worked with those people who are like a pleasure to work with. And then those that are like, oh no, my worst nightmare just arrived on the scene. And, you know, you're just going to be like putting out their fires all day. And, you know, when you're an artist, you're pretty much just self-employed. You Nobody's pushing you in the back to get a job done. So you have, you have to be a self-starter if you're going to be successful going forward. If, you, if you're doing it as a hobby, great. Like do it as a hobby you know, and, and don't put any pressure on yourself and do it when you feel like it and let your skills advance at whatever rate you want to. But if you want to do it as a profession, it does take quite a bit of organization and planning. Well, that's something I just thought of when you said like, oh, you, you get in that flow state is I was like, oh, question my brain. And it may not be a myth. It might just be something I'm curious about. Uh, do you find yourself spending like way more time doing something when you get really involved in it than you intended to because i've had times where i'm like oh i'm gonna sit and write something that i enjoy and i start writing and then i just get like absorbed into what i'm doing and i look up and it's been like seven hours and i'm like oh i skipped a meal in here <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> there were some problems here yeah, yeah. you know i um I will do that if I have a whole day like to myself and I say, all right, I'm going to do my morning exercise, whatever. And then I'm getting in the studio and I have nowhere else to be. I don't even think about it. Like next thing I know, uh, it might be, you know, I get in there maybe 9 30, 10 in the morning. It's four in the afternoon. Um, I will set timers so that I remember to drink water, which sounds stupid, but like, I'll be like, wow, my throat feels really dry. Oh my gosh, four hours have gone by. I haven't taken a sip of anything. Perhaps I should, you know, bring a bottle of water. I'll set a timer for that. But like today I had to be on this podcast and I was like, hmm, okay. So how much time do I have before I have to be fed so that I don't um, have low blood sugar and sound like a idiot on, on the, on the mic here? How much time do I have in the studio? And I just put an alarm on 
because boom, next thing I know, three hours had gone by. My alarm went off. Okay, go wash your paintbrushes, go have some lunch. And like, you know, here I am. But yeah, I can get lost in there. Um, and that was what happened again during the pandemic. My husband was like, wow, you're back in your studio. And I was like, well, there's nowhere, one, there's nowhere else to go. And two, I, I haven't run out of ideas and I'm not bored yet. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> he was otherwise entertaining himself. I have no idea what he was doing because I was in my little cocoon, you know, it's true. And it's true. Like that's, you know, when they say like time flies when you're having fun time flies when you're having fun. Like, you know it, you're writing, you get in that zone. And I won't realize I'll be done painting. And I'm done painting when usually one of three things happens. I look at the clock because I wonder what time it is, which means I'm either hungry, right? Or, I you know, I, I'm looking, I'm really looking for this to be over. Like I'm looking to give myself permission to say, okay, you've been in here long enough. Now you can leave, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's usually hunger that gets it. It's not usually tired because I'm not tired while I'm painting, but after I'm done, it's like, geez, my back hurts and this, my shoulder's stiff and I'm really thirsty and oh, I'm really hungry. And oh, I have this like mild headache, probably, you know, lack of food induced. And all of these things, I don't feel any of it when I'm in the studio. It's only like when I walk out of there and I go, oh, wow, I should eat something or I should get off my feet or, you know, whatever. But I don't feel, yeah, you don't feel body pain. Um, you don't feel any of those things, which, I I don't know I don't know if people at other jobs experience that because I was a I was a classroom teacher for uh, physics and chemistry for 25 years and I know that standing on a concrete floor I knew when my feet hurt I noticed it right away it didn't have I didn't have to wait till 2:30 at the end of the school day to go like yeah my feet are tired like. You know, uh, so even though I was doing my thing and in my zone, it wasn't nearly as like as deep a dive as what creating art is, at least for me. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely like it's one of those you, you lose yourself in it. And it's because you're having like you said, time flies when you're having fun. You know, I was literally doing it two days ago. I was proofreading some stuff that I just genuinely enjoyed reading. And I had, you know, some headphones in and I set like a three hour playlist and I was sitting there reading and I thought it's gotten really quiet. And then I looked over and I realized the entire playlist is over and I'm like, oh, it's been more than three hours. <laughs> and I bet it had been over for a while, it right? It wasn't happened. like the minute that clicked off, the, the second there was silence, it wasn't like you picked up on that. You're just probably silent for quite a bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just happened to hit a point in the reading where it like, I was a little broken out of the immersion, which is usually like a good cue to like, Hey, this needs some editing. But I like just came out and I'm like, Oh, it's really quiet in this room right now. That's odd. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think, I mean, I think most people have had that experience where, you know, you're doing something, you love it. But I think anybody who doesn't enjoy doing it, doesn't get it right. Like people who love fishing and they go all day. I don't know if they catch fish or not. It doesn't matter. Like 
the time they're in that zone and they're super happy and they don't, they don't care that 10 hours has gone by or whatever, because they're doing the thing that they're passionate about. Right. And if that's where you get your flow, then you understand what it's like for an artist in a studio, because that's where we get in our zone. We get, we forget about eating. We forget about being tired. We don't feel body aches. Uh, you know, none of those things happen. And I know people who, you know, they go to work and they got a stiff neck and a this and a that, and they got all these other aches and pains. None of that bothers them when they are rowing that boat to go fishing or riding that bike because their thing is to go cycling on the weekends or running or, uh, you know, any number of other hobbies or passions. Yeah. I mean, anything where it's like, you didn't have to worry about a paycheck. Everything was a hundred percent covered all the time. What would you do with your free time? And it's like, okay, well, whatever you picked, like you just genuinely enjoy because you have no reason to do it. That's money related. So you chose to do it. And you know what I'll add to that for, uh, for your younger audience listeners, if everything was paid for, you could do absolutely anything you wanted and none of it would get posted on social media. What would you do? Right? Because that's truly like, where does your mind wander when it can go anywhere? That's your passion. It just, it, and I know there are people, you know, the daydreamers and all of that, but a lot of times people don't realize that can be, that can be a profession, you know, a, you think about the greatest like achievers, they followed their passion and they made it a profitable profession for themselves because earning money and following your passion are not exclusive to each other. And we forget that because it's like, well, I'm going to the daily grind at work um, and we don't realize that there are lots of people going to like, ah, oh, that job that I love so much that I look forward to Monday mornings and getting to work, you know? And I think it's those who are less satisfied with their lives that they live for that passion on the weekends, but they don't realize that if they embraced a little uncertainty, right? Maybe took some risks that they might make that passion profitable and they might make that their career path. And I think that's what artists do. Like it might not pay at first. So I might need a side hustle and I might need to do something else. But once you figure it out, um, it, you know, your passion can definitely be your lifestyle. It can be what pays your bills. I think that's a great thought to leave people on where it's like, just, you know, look, don't be so accepting of the mediocre anymore like live for what you want to live for i think that's a great lesson to kind of leave people on i have appreciated immensely having you on the show it's been a great conversation i wanted to give you a chance to kind of plug where people can find you and where they can find your art and all those things oh okay sure so um let's see where can you find me i'm on instagram and i post a lot of my artwork and my process at claude b larson um I am on YouTube, Claude Larson Art, and I also have my own website, also titled Claude Larson Art, where you can see what I do. Uh, I've been in publications recently, so if you're a 
Stampington Magazine fan. I've been in their art quilting studio publications of late. Um, years past, I was in other publications. Um, yeah, I mean, if you just Google Claude, you have to put the B in there, Claude B. Larson. Apparently, there is a, a musician with my name as well, uh, and he'll come up quite often. But um, I'm pretty easy to find. I've done a fair amount of stuff, both in the education realm. Um, my book is on Amazon. It's called The Power of Choice, A Teen's Guide to Finding Personal Success. And it's really just about clarifying what you value, defining your boundaries, and finding ways to achieve what you feel success would be for your life without considering what other people would define success to be like, you know, like the, the households where your child either becomes a doctor, a lawyer or a failure, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's me. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to have this chat. I love uh, talking about art, obviously, and um, maybe debunking some myths for people. Um, giving you something to think about next time you go into a gallery space or next time you see a piece of artwork. Absolutely. And if people engage with you on those social platforms, like, you know, you said YouTube or Instagram or any of those places, if they buy your book on Amazon, remember to leave a good review or a comment or a like, whatever it is on the, the page you're on, because that helps to support your local artist. Yes, it does. Thank you again very much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast. Please take a brief moment to rate the show five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or Audible. You can also subscribe to all those places and do auto-downloads so you never miss another episode. The best way to help the show grow is to tell people that you know that you enjoy this podcast. I'm always looking for new topics, guest ideas, and questions from the audience. To reach out to me, email dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com or send a message to any of the show pages like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever else. I'll forgo country rankings this week to build some suspense, but that's all for now. I'll see you all Monday for the next fraud episode. Who's the fraud? Me? The guest? Who knows? Bye bye <laughs> <laughs>